This podcast was first broadcast on Mix 92.6. Go to mix926.com to find more Environment Matters podcasts. And if you enjoy what we do, to find out how you can support the station, which is run entirely by volunteers. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome to Environment Matters with me, Amanda Yorworth. Environment Matters is the show that brings you news on issues of sustainability and the environment from around Hertfordshire and from further afield. Now, I suspect it's been hard to miss. I know that my social media feeds are full of it. What is it? Well, the so-called attack on nature by Liz Truss's government. Virtually every wildlife and environment group has voiced their concerns. The Wildlife Trust, the RSPB, the CPRE, Friends of the Earth, the National Trust, to name but a few. And I've signed at least one petition. But my guilty secret is that I don't really know what it is. I mean, an attack on nature doesn't sound good, but I'm not exactly sure what it is that the government is proposing or what it would mean for nature here in Hertfordshire. So let's hear from someone who does know. I spoke to Chloe Edwards, who's the Director of Nature Recovery at the Hearts and Middlesex Wildlife Trust. Chloe, thank you ever so much for joining me today. So just let's start unpicking exactly what this attack on nature means and why it's so concerning. Now, I understand that that one of the things is to do with the retained EU law bill. Can you tell us what that is? So the retained EU law bill is something that could risk discarding hundreds of laws that we have derived from the European Union. And these protect some of our most precious habitats and species. So we have things like the habitats regulations and we have the birds directive, the time frame for reviewing all of these. And obviously that's a massively complex task to look at hundreds of different laws and how we apply them and if we apply them in the UK could risk all of those habitats and species potentially being left really vulnerable. And so it's just hugely concerning. And it's not just habitats and species that can be impacted, it's us too. So lots of the directives that exist protect, for example, our bathing waters. So, we, you know, in hot summers that are becoming more of a, a frequent occurrence, we'll go to the beach and, and we want to know that those waters that we're potentially getting into are clean and safe. And there is European law that currently that ensures that they are to the best of, of our knowledge. And also in terms of the wider freshwater environment, we hear a lot at the minute in the news about sewage and other pollutants in the environment environment. There are laws that we're currently utilising in the country. They're not by any means perfect, but they are a framework by which um, we certainly wouldn't want any less, uh, that do try to protect our freshwater environments, which are obviously crucial for our own you know, drinking water supplies. There's huge risk brought into this retained EU law bill, which has got a lot of us really, really worried. I remember when we were discussing whether or not to leave the EU, uh, there was the argument that, well, of course, the EU has given us these laws, but, but actually we could do better ones ourselves. Would your hope be that we could do, that we would do better ones ourselves? 
I think striving to do better to protect the environment and the habitats and species that depend on it and, you know, all those functions it gives us as as humans should absolutely be something that we're we're striving to do to do better. But what the concern is, is that we're willing to accept less and that these bespoke British protections, which we've heard come out of government recently, the, the aspiration to to do better and have bespoke British protections that we're not sure the government actually knows what that means because there's a good framework there to to just keep going with until it can be superseded by something better and we think sort of having that time frame of just over a year to try and get that better is probably quite unrealistic so we really want commitment from the government that they're going to stick with those laws until that point at which they could be superseded which which seems unlikely to be by the end of next year. Okay, thank you for explaining that to us. Now, another area of concern is around investment zones. Why would that be of concern? Yes, another concerning bit that's come out in the last uh, week or so in the in the mini budget was these proposed investment zones. And again, it's important to, to kind of understand the regulations we've got that protect our habitats and species from development and investment, growth, all of these words that we hear a lot at the minute. So we have those laws protecting the rarest, most fragile habitats and species from all of development pressures and from growth. But these investment zones, and we don't know where they'll be in the country yet, they've sort of opened it out to county councils to uh, express interest at the moment. But the the premise of them is that they will enable development and growth without what the government call kind of red tape, which is all those protections. It's those things that we have to have in place to ensure that nature thrives and so we can thrive as well. But the government really wants to weaken those protections in these investment zones so that they can build quicker and almost also so that locals maybe won't have as much of a a say in what goes on in their local area. But it really makes our habitats and species much more vulnerable to development, which which is not something we want to see. Uh, you know, we struggle enough to to ensure that development is done in, in an environmentally sensitive way. Uh, and we have some really promising uh, developing initiatives like biodiversity net gain, which were, was going to try and make developments give more back to nature. So, you know, where we do have to to build and grow and we have to do that people need homes uh, and we need to to grow the economy we do it in a way that that we also give much more back to nature okay so how about the environmental land management schemes now i believe these affect farmers and we certainly have lots of farming here in hertfordshire Yes, we absolutely do. And again, there's nothing concrete, but lots of really concerning rumours going around at the moment that the the government might be considering watering down the environmental land management scheme. There may be quite good things about Brexit was that it was going to give us an opportunity to kind of look at those policies that we have for farming uh, and really be able to develop new ones that bring nature and farming and food security all together and do it really well and be really ambitious with it as well. So over the past few years, absolutely loads of farmers, landowners, conservation 
organisations and other environmental NGOs and the government have all been working collaboratively to develop these schemes, which on paper were really sounding really good. They had ambition and there was going to be the funding associated with them to deliver nature recovery at scale. So working across big swathes of land and basically paying farmers and landowners to manage their land for the public good, so for nature and for delivering all those services that, that the environment gives us. So, you know, air quality, having a resilient landscape when it's flooding or in times of drought, all of those things. But as I say, there's rumours at the minute that there is a risk that that could be watered down and the ambition removed, which would be really devastating because not only has, you know, a lot of, lot of time and energy and resource gone into developing those, but it's one of one of the key things, you know, that we could say we're leading with ambition on and that mechanism could actually deliver landscape scale nature recovery, which um, is where we need to be, um, you know, for nature to thrive, but also for us to thrive. So one of the arguments against the kind of landscape style recovery that you're talking about is that that actually one thing that the Ukraine crisis has shown us is that we are not very self-sufficient as far as food goes in this country. And actually, we'd be better trying to produce more of our own food and perhaps on the environmental side, avoiding some of the imports that we currently require and all of the carbon implications in that. So do you think there's some merit in that argument? I think we we can certainly look to produce more, but that doesn't need to be at the risk of the environment. And we have to always remember that, that, you know, we can't produce more and we can't have that food security if it's not underpinned by a healthy environment. Our soils are fundamental to growing food and we really have sort of catastrophically not looked after them and you know there's lots lots you'll hear lots about you know a few harvests left we've got to have schemes that focus on keeping soils healthy and this is one of the things that potentially the the environmental land management schemes can target is is paying farms to have better soils because not only will that improve their yields but it will also improve the services that those soils provide this The government feels a lot like at the minute it's pitching food security, its growth against the environment. And this all goes hand in hand. We we really can't deliver growth. We can't deliver food security if we haven't looked after the environment. So thinking about here in Hertfordshire, what are your specific concerns as far as environmental and habitat gems that we have here? Which of those could be under threat from any of these measures? One of our real gems in the county are our chalk rivers, which are already you know, bombarded from abstraction for, for water consumption and from pollution. And as I mentioned earlier, we, you know, we struggle with the existing um, legislation that we have in place to ensure those environments are looked after. And those are globally rare environments, only sort of 240 odd in the entire world. We've got 10% in Hertfordshire and we're pretty heavily reliant on our fresh waters for our, our own existence in terms of drinking water, etc. So we've absolutely need to protect those. 
But that yeah, there's real risks. Investment zones could really impact a lot of our habitats and species. And the Environmental Land Management Scheme is is one of the key mechanisms by which we, as the Wildlife Trust, are sort of depending on to exist in some way to help us with our ambition to recover nature. Uh, we want to see 30% of the county managed for nature by 2030 and the, and the clock is really ticking. Now, the, the government says that what it's doing is to encourage economic growth. And, you know, that does sound like a good idea, particularly when so many people are struggling, more people are needing food banks, people are struggling to pay bills. So do you have some sympathy with this idea? I mean, surely the government is right in putting the economy first even if it does cause some nature depletion, perhaps we can sort this out once we've got the economy sorted out. I mean, it would be nice if uh, the world existed in such a simple system where things weren't interlinked. But we just we have to recognise that we can't have that growth without also looking after the environment. It's not it's not one or the other. It has to be hand in hand and nature literally underpins everything you know the well-being of society depends on a healthy environment we need clean air otherwise our health service will be burdened with people suffering we need resilient landscapes you know that can deal with lots of rainfall or droughts so that people can exist without those fears and we need a wider environment that is connected and that is healthy so that we can grow enough food so that we can feed our society as well it's it's not one or the other so let's hear what you're doing to help and, and how we can help with that the, the main thing that we're doing and, and that other people can also do is is to use our voices obviously nature and the environment can't speak for itself so we've got the ability to do that on its behalf so something that hearts and middlesex wildlife trusts are doing is that we're talking to our elected representatives so our mps and our councillors and we're communicating our concerns and asking them to to use their positions of influence to take our concerns back to government so that is something that everyone can do everyone can write to their mp or their elected councillors and share their concerns uh, you can also traditionally sort of write to your MP as well because actually having you know mailbags that start to become full might be more effective than than an inbox on these issues and the wildlife trust movement that we're part of is also working very closely with all of the other environmental NGOs like the National Trust the RSPB Woodland Trust to talk with greater influence at a national level to government about these concerns as well. Okay, well, that's that's good to hear. So just to finish off, Hearts Middlesex Wildlife Trust, you have got a potentially exciting purchase that you're looking to make, which might help wildlife in Hertfordshire. Just tell us a bit about Archers Green and how we can help there. So yes, Archers Green uh, is a fantastic site on the River Mimram, which is one of our chalk rivers, as I mentioned earlier. Globally rare habitat, it's a fantastic example of a chalk river. It, it supports all kinds of wonderful species, water vole, otter, kingfisher, and it's got some fabulous meadows associated with it as well. And the opportunity came up very recently to secure this piece of land. And so we've taken advantage of a 
philanthropic loan in order to take this off the market so that it doesn't fall into hands that might manage it less sensitively and could potentially lose its wildlife interest. And now we're appealing to raise funds to pay back that loan. Um, obviously, if, if we don't manage to raise funds, there would be a risk that that site wouldn't be secured in the long term. But it's a fantastic gem of a site. It's part of sort of building this jigsaw of, of protected land that's being managed for nature. So it sits between sort of Panshanger Park and our Chewambri Nature Reserve. So it would be another piece of that jigsaw secured uh, and managed for nature and in enabling it to thrive. So we're really excited about this opportunity and our appeal has just gone live in the last couple of weeks and we're looking to raise enough funds to, as I say, pay off that philanthropic loan, but also to cover the costs of the ongoing management of that site. Chloe, thank you so much indeed for coming and telling us all about that. Thank you. I was talking there to Chloe Edwards, the Director of Nature Recovery at the Hearts and Middlesex Wildlife Trust. And if you'd like to follow the fight against the attack on nature, then check out the hashtag DefendNature on social media and do turn any anxiety or anger that you might be feeling about this into action by telling your politicians how you feel. Now, you'll find all the steps that you can take laid out really clearly on the Hearts and Middlesex Wildlife Trust website, plus how you can donate to their Archer's Green Appeal. And I'll pop the link to all of that into the notes that accompany the podcast of this show and which you'll find on the podcast page of mix926.com. Now, I'd be interested to hear what you think. Will you be joining the fight to defend nature? I'm on email at amanda.yorworth at mix926.com or look out for Environment Matters on Mix92.6 on Twitter or Facebook. I'll be back at the same time next week, but until then, thanks for listening.